The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. After a lifetime of ADD-induced hyperfocusing, I have decided to share the things that fascinate me. I'm Jack, and welcome to Musings of an ADD Mind. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Joining me today is a very, very special guest. He has been mentioned in another podcast, although at this time of the recording, Ralph doesn't know that because it hasn't come out yet. But anyway, it's my best friend, Ralph. Hello, everyone. Ralph is a pretty awesome dude. He has a job for the government doing <laughs> stuff and things. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, seriously, though, uh, like myself, Ralph is an Army veteran, and he was in that sweet spot of being in, in between two wars in Iraq. Yeah. Which worked out because we met after that, and we've been best friends for 20-plus years. Exactly. So... I'm going to ask you a question, Ralph. What do you know about clones and cloning outside of science fiction? Outside of science fiction, I do know that they cloned the sheep at one point in time. I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but when they did the cloning, it did not turn out to be exactly as what science fiction mentions it to be. It actually had some slightly different features, although it had most of the features of the sheep that it came from. Mm-hmm. I know that there's still experimentation going on. Mm-hmm. However, I don't know if there's anything to being done in relation to, or I don't know any any information and or if there's any information related to, say, human cloning. I'm willing to bet there is. However, <laughs> I've never delved into it because it's just not a concern of mine. No offense. Right, right. <laughs> well, the sheep you're talking about does, in fact, well, she doesn't exist now. She's dead. She's actually stuffed in a museum in Scotland. But nice. her name was Dolly, and we are going to discuss Dolly a little further into the podcast. Wonderful. Yeah. And we're going to discuss several aspects of cloning and human cloning, sort of as the <laughs> podcast moves on. But before I get into real-world cloning, I'm going to talk for just a couple minutes about cloning and science fiction, because I think that cloning and science fiction has led some people to believe that cloning is a little more advanced in the real world than it actually is. And I believe it's, you know, because of science fiction. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So, it's obviously a trope that's been around in science fiction since at least 1930. There have been several high-profile movies about cloning. Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. Star Trek Nemesis. The movie The Island from 2005, which stars Ewan McGregor, so that means he's been in two movies with clones. The Tom Cruise movie Oblivion. The movie Logan, about Wolverine, has a clone in it. Alien 4 has a clone in it. The last two Austin Powers have a clone in it. That would be Mini-Me. Multiplicity had clones in it. The Netflix show Altered Carbon is also about human clones, 
And of course, who can forget the dinosaur cloning movies in the Jurassic Park series? Uh, so, Ralph, I'm going to guess that you have probably seen most, if not all, of those movies. Am I correct? That actually is correct. Yep. I know you've seen a lot of movies. Yep, yep. And, of course, science fiction leads to, not science fact, but leads to the ever-becoming dream of, oh, could I ever clone myself? And if I could, what could I do with it? Oh, what kind of trouble could I get into? Or what kind of possibilities can I make? I could be in ten places at once. Woo! Ralph, not gonna happen. if you cloned yourself, you need to stay far away, far, far away from your clone. Yeah. You'll just get your clone in trouble. Exactly. And if I were to add to it, if cloning had anything to do with the time paradox, if a clone touched another clone, we'd all be in trouble. Right. As many movies as there's been about clones, there have probably been 50, 100 times as many books that deal with clones. The 1932 book Brave New World by Aldous Huxley was one of the first. Mm -hmm. As I googled top 10 science fiction books about clones, these books came up. Spares by Michael Marshall Smith and The House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, several books have been made into movies that are about cloning. The movie Cloud Atlas was about clones. Of course, Jurassic Park and Altered Carbon, which I mentioned earlier, those were also about clones, obviously, because the movie and TV version of them was. I don't know if you've read any of those books. If you have, it was probably Jurassic Park, I would assume. That would be true if I'd ever read Jurassic Park. However, I will say this. I have read and or watched Westworld. Okay. And guess what? Also about clones? Exactly. I haven't watched Westworld yet. I have a long list of things that I've wanted to watch, and it's on my list. I just haven't made it to that yet. Totally understandable. <laughs> so in both movies and books, though, there's always one thing that has to be addressed about clones, and that's any sort of clone. And it's that to have a clone in its 20s, it needs 20 years of growing to get there. Mm -hmm. So the trope is always there's some sort of something done to accelerate the growth of the clone so you can grow it. You know, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's longer than that. For example, in Attack of the Clones, it took 10 years to make a clone that the body was like a 20-year-old. So all of the adult clones fighting were roughly 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. when in fact their actual age was only 10 years old because it took them that long to grow. Like, they're, they were programmed to, like, have their growth rate doubled. Wow. And in Star Trek Nemesis, the clone of uh, spoilers, if you haven't seen this 20-year-old movie, cover your ears for a few seconds, the clone of Jean-Luc Picard had actually lived to whatever age he had been. He was born, started out a baby, and had lived whatever that age was so there was no growth acceleration for him. And that's always something that needs to be addressed in books or movies about cloning is the fact that to have a clone that's 30, it still needs 30 years to grow in like nine months and whatever sort of artificial womb you have. So that's always something that they have to address. How do you grow a clone so fast? And then the other thing that's also a trope if it's a clone where somebody then moves like to the new body that was cloned, 
is you have to figure out some way of doing, you know, some sort of memory transfer to the new body. In Rise of Skywalker, there's a clone of the Senate, Palpatine, and he used, you know, Sith stuff to get his essence and, and tell, you know, all of his memories and everything to the clone body. In Altered Carbon, everyone sort of has a, like a data port in their neck, and that's how they, how they do that. But that's something that always has to be addressed. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts, Ralph, about how, you know, they address that trope and sort of have to do that? Just any thoughts you might have on that? Well, actually, I kind of do. This actually kind of relates back. Uh, there's a bit of science fiction on this, but this kind of relates back to a few movies that I've watched. There was a movie with um, Johnny Depp in it where he basically put his um, consciousness into a computer system. Mm-hmm. And he then, after a certain amount of time, was able to take his consciousness and enter other people as well as they create himself his own body and recreate himself. I can't remember the name of the movie, and I'm, I've watched it more than once. Yeah, but I can't remember kind of that either, the name of the movie. I know the one you're talking about, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. As I know, he has this area where there's a bunch of solar panels, and he's got this big, gigantic facility up underground. Mm-hmm. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> and it was processing and computer power that helped him to accelerate his growth, mo- uh, growth model. And in all actuality, when he created his clone, he didn't create it as a baby. He created it fully grown. Right. So there is that possibility. And I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but in the movie Chappie, a scientist and or engineer ends up getting killed and somehow gets his conscience uh, transferred into the body of a... Robot. Yes. Um, a robot sentry. One of the sentries that's being used as uh, security forces. Right. And this scientist actually has the ability to copy over a person's conscience and put it into any any century he wants. So that leads to, okay, you can basically build and or somehow create a clone and or body that's already grown. Okay, but see, that's working around the trope of how do you get past the body needs mm -hmm. a certain time. Okay. Now, in the relation to where the body needs a certain time, and this is me hypothetically um, speaking, um, this is basically a guess based off of what I have observed. My thoughts are that there's some kind of process and or some kind of chemical balance that they use, some kind of makeup to actually force whatever growth module or growth medium they have Yes. To grow faster than under normal human condition. Yes. Now, that, of course, causes the body, so to speak, to grow at an accelerated rate. And depending upon the limitations of whatever growth hormone or whatever growth um, element they use, um, it de- that will depend upon how fast or how slow the body grows. Now, that leads to a conundrum, though. Because once you've started applying it and that particular body and or entity gets used to getting that particular hormone or whatever the fluid entity may be, mm-hmm. um, does it continually need it? And if it doesn't, does it continually grow on its own? Say you've well, got... Well, does that body then continually age at a faster rate? For example, in the Attack you. of the Clones, a 20-year is actually mm-hmm. a 40... now has the body of 40 years because the accelerated growth never stops. There you go. So, um, yeah. 
So, and there's been experimentation where they've said, okay, it grows this way. Okay, it grows that way. So you could have it growing where it's continually growing at that fast rate, or you could have it where you take away, say, that fluid module that you're using as an accelerant. Right. And they actually slow down to grow at the current time rate. Or slash age, I guess Mm -hmm. is what we're meaning. Exactly. Oh, you know what that made me just think of? What? Not iRobot, but the one with Robin Williams. Oh, Bicentennial Man. Yes. That's one of my favorite, because he was the robot. Yes. Yes. And he actually somehow managed to, over time, transform himself into a full-blown human. Yeah. They declared him human at the end, and then he died. Oh, sorry. Spoiler Mm -hmm. alerts for another 20-year-old movie. Uh, Bicentennial Man, that's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Absolutely wonderful movie. If anybody's watching or listening to this, watch Bicentennial Man. You will laugh. You will cry. It is that good. Yeah, that's true. So I guess now that we've sort of just touched on the science fiction aspect of cloning, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I think sometimes people see technologies in movies and later on they hear things and they think that, well, maybe we do have that technology when in Mm -hmm. fact we don't. And we certainly don't have any sort of technology to transfer your mind from one body to another. Exactly. Because if we could do that, well, I would look like Brad Pitt. (laughs) I'm just saying. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even going to go there. No offense. (laughs) Right? Um, (laughs) So now that we've discussed cloning and fiction, I'm going to talk about cloning in the real world. But just due to time constraints, obviously, it's going to have to be a Cliff Note version of cloning. And as Ralph mentioned earlier... The first animal cloned to, like, full adulthood that lived was Dolly the Sheep, and she was born on July 5th, 1996. Here's the funny thing, Ralph. I actually only found out about this as I was doing my research uh, for this particular episode. Dolly the Sheep is named Dolly because the DNA they used from the original sheep to clone was a mammary gland cell. Huh. So they named her after Dolly Parton. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's very interesting indeed. And yet, at the same time, the irony of it is extremely funny. Yeah. Yeah. I. That's unimportant yeah. to the story other than that she was cloned from a mammary gland. So I just found it funny and therefore I had to include it. So, Dolly lived her entire life at the Rosalind Institute in Scotland, which is where she was created. And she went on to have six lambs of her own. So, she had six youngsters. And which means she was full-blown female and she had all of her, uh, yeah. uh, all her proper organs. Yeah. And you know what? I would assume that her kids have had kids. So, her offspring is probably still making wool. Yep. But in 2000... Dolly was diagnosed with JSRV. I'm not going to read you what that is short for because I can't pronounce it and I'm not going to try. But JSRV causes lung cancer in sheep. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, it was discovered that she had, in fact, developed tumors and cancer in her lungs. And so rather than risk her having to deal with long-term suffering, they decided that it was more humane to euthanize her rather than, you know, living however long she would have lived in pain. And she died on February 14th, 
Wow. Yeah. So now that you've heard a little more about Dolly, which you mentioned earlier, does it just knowing any more, does that sort of change your thoughts on anything? Or I wouldn't necessarily change my thoughts. Um, it gives me a little bit more insight on how they actually set her up and how, um, and the fact that now it does um, tell me that at least I knew that she was um, surviving clone. I did not know that she had actually had babies of her own and that she mm-hmm. lived for that long a time because I never really kept up with it after I found out that they first cloned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been a while. But anyway, yep. I'm I'm glad that I was able to add to your knowledge of cloned sheep. Yep. So, but did you know, Ralph, that mm-hmm. a large part of medical research uses clones or were you completely unaware of that fact? I was actually unaware of that fact. Okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to sort of explain how the how they use clones in a minute, but first I'm going to ask you another question. Sure. Can you tell me what these what the following drugs have in common other than being sold over the counter? You ready? Mm-hmm. Tylenol slash acetaminophen, Advil, Motrin, ibuprofen, aspirin, Aleve slash naproxen, Sudafed, Claritin, Benadryl, Delsum. Robitussin, Mucinex, Tums, Maalox, Pepto-Bismol, multiple brands of stool softeners, Lidocaine, and of course, Preparation H. Okay, other than their over-the-counter drugs, mm-hmm. um, initially I was thinking, well, pain medication and fever uh, reducer. But then it started going into t- some totally other different areas which have nothing to do with either one of those. So they almost go to two different ends of a spectrum. Right. Well, yeah, your mouth and your ass. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Very well, good. I opened myself up to that one. The actual answer is those were all developed using fetal stem cells, which, of course, is babies. Right. Uh, fetal stem cells are used, the way they test them is they get the cells and then they have like a petri dish that'll have these cells in it and then they'll take like a portion of whatever medication they're developing and they'll put it in there and then they see how the cells react to that so a cell will then obviously have you know a positive reaction or a negative reaction but the fetal stem cells come from aborted babies that's where they get them from but in the United States, there are limits on how and when that can be done. It's not every single baby that's aborted is used for this process. It's literally only like 12 babies in the U.S. that that happened to that they use the cells from. And then they clone the cells because they're stem cells. They can become any type of cell in the human body. So they clone those cells. Mm-hmm. And the first. Um, cells that stem cells that they cloned was from a baby that was aborted in 1930. Wow. And so think about how many billions of generations of cells that has been since then. At this point, is any of the stem cells that they're cloning the actual tie to what it came from? Does that make sense? Yes. So here are a couple of other uh, medications that 
that are prescription medication. And I'm sure you might be surprised on some of these medications, but they too were all developed using fetal stem cells. Lipitor, the high blood pressure medicines, uh, metoprolo, and losartan, Prilosec, albuterol, Embril, Zithromax, commonly called Z-Packs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the last two that I'm going to mention, I find of particular interest, and that would be hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. Also developed using fetal stem cells. Editor Jack here from the future. I just wanted to say that here in a second you're going to hear me say baby. And what I meant to say is fetus. And just in the heat of the moment I was saying baby. Sorry about that. Which of course is clone cells from an aborted baby. Yep. And as a matter of fact, while we're sort of on the subject, Benadryl has so much uh, stem cells that it actually warrants its own page in the, on a list by the FDA. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so they'll grow these uh, cells when they clone them. That's all they do when they talk about replicating. That's just cloning the initial cells. And as I mentioned, they're like the body's raw material. So you can take a stem cell and you can make it a, a lung cell or a liver cell or a muscle cell. And so, like, if they're testing, a, you know, a medicine for lungs, like albuterol, they can test a batch of cells and know how it works. Yeah. And that's what makes stem cells so great for this. And apparently, they're easy to clone. And when they clone them, they actually refer to those cells as daughter cells that become the new stem cells when they huh. make them into stem cells. Or if they specialize the cells, which they call differentiation when they make them into, you know, blood cells, brain cells, heart cells, and all of that. Right. And so the reason they're important is no other cell in the body has the natural ability to generate new cells. And so that's why wow. uh, fetal stem cells are such an important part of medical research, development, and production. And usually it's, you know, a biotech company, a university, or medical center that collects those samples that are then brought to the lab. But it, it actually doesn't happen like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's not every single baby that gets aborted. It, there's really not that many of them. But when they do get them from a baby, a new, like, new batch of cells, they're given an alphanumeric name. For example, one line is known as WI-38, and it was created from the lung tissue of a fetus. And MRC-5. It was also from lung tissue from a male fetus. And so okay. they have to occasionally replenish those lines. So they'll make them, you know, until eventually, I guess, it doesn't work anymore. But they, uh, they've been using that one line since, 19, since the 1930s. So obviously they can go quite a long way. And aside from testing medication, there are also specialized treatments that they're working on. So mm -hmm. there's active development of trying to get stem cells into spinal cord cells so they can then inject after they become spinal cord cells inject them into say somebody who's become a, a paraplegic to where their cut in their spinal cord is in that perhaps maybe these stem cells will regrow and reconnect the spinal cord and then they'll be able to walk again and that's the Christopher Reeve situation 
Well, yeah, I mean, Christopher Reeves, obviously, but I mean, that would be fantastic for anybody that's, you know, dealing with paralysis of any kind. Exactly. But they're also using it for trying to figure out treatments for Alzheimer's and heart disease, mm -hmm. um, Parkinson's, MS, uh, cancer. And then another one that's pretty important is they're working on treatment for burn patients that will okay. be able to, you know, heal their skin and their nerves and everything after they've been burned. So a lot of important research and, you know, healing comes from these cloned lines. Uh -huh. But are you ready for this next part, Ralph? <laughs> or is there anything you want to say about any of these medical treatments that are developed or any of that? Is there just anything you want to add before I go into this next part of real-life no. cloning? Actually, no. You've got me in suspense right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I know you're sitting down, thank goodness, but stem cells are also used in the food and beverage industry. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> There is a company called Cinemix, which uses the cell line HEK-293 for research and development of new flavor additives. Now, to oh. be super gassy on the... That sounds... That's wild, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be super duper, extra super duper clear, they're, they are not putting fetal stem cells into food or beverages. Uh, they use uh, the stem cells and they turn them into kidney cells for flavor receptors. Um, so they can see how these new flavors, you know, this new flavor we're created doesn't create an adverse effect for people. So it actually has like a beneficial reason for why they're doing it. But it's still, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes you when you first hear about that kind of get a ooh sort of thing. But yeah. They, yeah. And partially they do that is because they can adjust like salt and sugar levels. By testing it this way before it even gets to trying it on people. Mm -hmm. And so there are companies that work with Cinemix, which include Nestle and a company called Fermentage. I'm not sure where that one is. And they use these products, but other companies such as Kraft, Campbell's Soup, and Pepsi have changed or canceled their contracts with Cinemix because they didn't sort of want to be associated with perhaps People thinking they had fetal stem cells in their products. Understandable. Yeah. That's, uh, when I was doing my research, that's, that's sort of the one that blew me away the most. Cause I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and if you, if you think about it, any company that claims to be having all natural, like say gluten free and all this other type products, then naturally they're going to get away from something of that nature because Granted, it may be natural, but it doesn't sound natural. Right. Yeah, no. Kind of sounds Frankenstein-y. Thank you. Yeah. But wait, Ralph. There's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah. The cosmetic industry also uses stem cells. Now. The, yeah. Yeah. And the FDA... I have actually heard that. Yeah. That, you have? Yes, I have. Oh. Cool. But did you know the FDA does not always require cosmetic companies? companies to include that on their list of ingredients. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a company called Neocutis. They admit to using fetal stem cells, and they often, I guess, do it with the Cinemix as well. Mm -hmm. But they're, this is actually put into the makeup that is made. It's The stem cells are actually in it, but they're such a small concentration that they're labeled as artificial flavors. 
Really? Yeah. So that makes me wonder, like, when you're slapping cherry chapsticks on your lips and you read the ingredients and it says artificial flavors, you're naturally going to assume that the artificial flavors are artificial cherry flavor, right? Mm -hmm. But it could also be a mix of fetal stem cells, mm. which, of course, are cloned cells. So you've been slapping cloned cells all over your face, ladies, for years, and you didn't even know it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? They use well vomit for perfume, so I guess they might as well do this, too. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's when I say that you're using clones and from the fetal stem cells, it is a thing that is used all the time, every day, countless times. And nobody knows this. Wow. Yeah. And yet, it you know, it's all cloning. It's, mm -hmm. it's really wild. They also use these cloned cells when they test vaccines, but it's mm -hmm. not in the way people think. The cloned cells actually aren't in older, let me rephrase that, in older vaccines like polio and smallpox, they have the stem cells in them. The new, like this newest one for COVID-19, it does not have stem cells in it because it's designed and developed and works in a completely different way than the old vaccines do. So there is, in fact, not uh, any fetal stem cells in it. It was used in testing as the aforementioned, you know, cells in a Petri dish. Here's the vaccine. You know, we get the cells sick. We put the vaccine in. Does it allow it to kill the you know, the illness, whatever the disease is that the vaccine is for. That's where most of them now, when they develop new vaccine, use the stem cell. It's not actually in the vaccine. When you get your yearly flu shot, it doesn't have stem cells in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the FDA does require there to be an ingredients list of every vaccine. But I guarantee you that that ingredients list is the same thing as when you're signing up for something new on the internet and you click... I agree to the terms and condition, and all you did was scroll down to get to it because you didn't actually read them. Yep. So, yeah, that's um, uh, interesting. And just as a simple aside, I find it funny that people who are using religious exemptions to not get the COVID vaccine because it has fetal stem cells in it from aborted babies, which it in fact does not, are more than willing to take ivermectin or hydrochloroquine. Whatever it is, I say it wrong every time. Which actually do have it in it. And, you know, when they get a headache, probably take Tylenol. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to... When their hymns are flaring, probably using the old Preparation H. But yeah. I guess they're going to have to just let their assholes be bloody for religious reasons. Flag fly. That's right. For religious reasons, you know? Just don't sit down too hard and they'll heal eventually. Yep. Anyway, I digress. I ADD'd myself there. Sorry. Um, I'm going to move on, though, just a little bit mm -hmm. because there's other cloning, Ralph. And okay. This sort of is going back to Dolly the Sheep. Okay. There are companies you can have clone your cat or dog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't imagine that's cheap. I'm sure it's expensive as I'll get out. Yeah. It would. You know what? I mean, go to yeah, your I shelter. For that. Yeah. Go to your shelter. And adopt another dog because the clone version of your dog isn't going to be your first dog other than the physical body is identical because it's not going to grow up in the same conditions and everything will be different. 
And while it will look just like your dog and have tendencies probably like your dog, it will behave differently because it's in fact a different dog, even though it's a clone. So just go to your shelter and adopt a dog. Yep. But this is this is how they do this, Ralph. You go to you go to your vet. Your vet collects a small sample, small tissue sample from your pet. I don't know if that means doing some sort of injection and pulling stuff out, you know, a swab on the cheek, maybe a little surgery and taking a little bit out. I have no idea how they do that. And quite honestly, I I really didn't want to research that part of it. Yeah. <laughs> but so they do that and then they <laughs> send the tissue to the, the cloning company you're using. And then they create a culture from those cells, which, of course, that culture of those cells is clones of that cell. And, you know, they're stem cells, so they create clones of it or however they do that. And then if you don't want the clone of your dog right now, they freeze them until you get that cloned dog. And then they, I guess, pop them in the microwave and thaw them out. And then they grow your new your new dog or cat, which essentially makes it just a twin of your previous pet. But I don't just go don't do that because I guarantee you that that's a that's a large sum of money when you can just go and make a dog that's at a pound or the shelter feel so much better and save a life and they'll have gears of joy and you'll have gears of joy from having your rescue dog and it'll be a lot cheaper. Donate the rest of that money to the humane society that you're going to spend on cloning your dog. But anyway, I'm going to get off my, my high Great Dane that everyone always says is a horse. Well, that would also be your Price is Right um, tribute. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, before anybody starts claiming, well, you have a Great Dane. This is my first non-shelter dog in 27 years of being married to my wife. We have had shelter dog after shelter dog. And my last dog, Henry, who I loved more than any animal I have ever had, was thrown out of a car at a gas station, and then he became my best friend for the next, well, my best canine friend for the next eight years. Um, I've and just Henry always was amazing. Yes. I've just always wanted a Great Dane, and I had an opportunity to get one. I just had an opportunity, and I met my bucket list dog that I always wanted. So anyway, moving on to Yay. that. They also use, uh, in terms of animal, they're, they're trying to work on cloning Cattle and racehorses. Okay. Because if you could clone Secretariat, would you not do it? Even if you never had your clone of Secretariat race, would you not want to have that clone knocking up other horses to make possibly other Secretariats, right? Exactly. And in cattle, they would use the clones. Say there's a bull that's, for whatever reason, particularly muscular. And Mm -hmm. so they would want to like, well, that's a trait that we want. So rather than going through the process of spending several generations trying to make a bunch of them that do that, they could just make clones and then impregnate them into a cow and then it grows. And now you have 10 of them in one generation instead of having to go through 10 generations of cows to get there. It, it's done for expedience. So you can either, I mean, you could do it for to make cows that produce more milk. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they would use it in, in that environment. So. And- and I'm thinking about it. I apologize if I'm interrupting. No, no. Go ahead, Ralph. If, if, thank you. Thank you. Um, if you think about it, as the process becomes more refined and costs less to do the processing and the experimentation with the cloning, I would think that over time, 
as we possibly start running towards food shortages, they're going to look towards cloning of like cattle, for instance, to have a never-ending supply of meat. Yeah, yeah. Well, they use cloning too, I believe. If they find a particular good version of green beans, mm-hmm. I know they try to clone that. Now, there's also some of the fact that they genetically modify stuff and get the seeds, but cloning is also uh, used in part of that. And then technically, every avocado and banana that you eat is a clone because all of the avocado trees that are in the U.S. came from, um, they were cuts. They weren't even seeds. They were cuts from one avocado tree in Mexico and brought to California. And so they're all like from that same... All, and then in California, they just kept taking them from the various trees. And so those are technically considered clones. And the same thing happened with uh, the bananas that you eat in the store. Those all come from a tree that they did that with. Well, or a banana plant. Would... So anyway, you've been eating yep. clones for years if you're a big fan of guac. Oh, yeah. And I remember when they were, it was something that ended up being popular for a little while, um, tree splicing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really wild. You can take like a a limb from, say, a a peach tree and cut it off and splice it to an apple tree. And then Mm -hmm. the branches that grow off of that will be peaches, but the rest of the tree will be apples. Yep, it's pretty wild. It's magic, man. (laughs) It's magic. (laughs) So that's sort of, those are kind of the primary uses of cloning in modern day society. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel that you learned anything from that, Ralph? Did you was there stuff you didn't know? Do you is it was any of it surprising or shocking? There's a little bit of shock, but there's there's a lot in there that I didn't know, and it's actually gleaned a little bit of knowledge on what you've expanded on. Yeah, it also makes me wonder if not necessarily a lot of the sci- science fiction that's was discussed earlier is uh, actually out there, but it makes me think on a smaller scale of some of that science fiction might be true. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Well, would you like to hear about some of the future of cloning? Sure. All right. Yeah. This is, this is the part that gets me excited. And as I go on, uh, it'll probably become obvious why. Um, but one thing the scientific community is trying to do is clone extinct animals. Mm-hmm. And because DNA deteriorates as an animal decomposes, there's just no way that you can clone a dinosaur a la Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Now, there is you a chance. Clone th- right. There is, well, perhaps. There is a chance through genetic engineering that you could take like a turkey or a, or a chicken and change their, you know, through genetic splicing, change their DNA to appear more dinosaur like. But that would mm-hmm. not be cloning. No. In, that would be more turducken. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but if you've ever been around chickens, those things are little velociraptors. Oh, yeah. They are, yeah. Um, little anyway. compies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you could possibly... The extinct animals they're talking about are perhaps animals that maybe died 50,000 years ago, that far back. And that just depends on the conditions of after they died. Did they get, you know, slightly mummified, that type of thing, on how you could get the cells to clone that. So are you talking like woolly mammoths and like saber tooths? Yes. Yes. Nice. And woolly rhinoceroses. Nice. Yeah, which would be cool because now maybe some of these rhinos that have actually, is the, I think it's the black rhino 
it's considered extinct, even though there's still one that's still alive and it's a male, mm. but since he's the only one left, you might as well say they're extinct because he's not going to be knocking up any other black rhinos anytime soon. Nope. But they could, if they got cell samples from some of the other ones, they could possibly uh, clone the black rhino and other rhinos because most rhinos are endangered. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be something they could do in the future. But the animals that they have that have been extinct for four, five, six, ten, fifteen thousand years ago are woolly mammoths, woolly rhinos, and saber-toothed cats, and possibly um, the American lion. And in the U.S., it would be Colombian mammoths and then mastodons. Yes. And I'll explain sort of where they would be able... Well, so... You're listening to the musings of an ADD mind podcast. In the Siberian permafrost right now, as the permafrost is melting, their mammoths and woolly rhinos are being exposed as they melt. And because they were sort of mummified and flash frozen almost, Mm -hmm. as they thaw out, their cells and everything that's in there, like 50,000 year old animals, the meat, you know, the muscles are still muscles. They they haven't mm-hmm. decomposed. They're still there. As a matter of fact, now this was Russian scientists because I don't know if anyone else is crazy enough to have done <laughs> that. They actually, there was a woolly mammoth that had been exposed and they actually cut off some of the muscle and had woolly mammoth steaks. They oh, were able goodness. to eat it. Yeah, yeah. That's That's a bit that's, far for me. Yeah, that's... But that you takes know. it to the next level. Yeah. So that's why these northern animals are easier to clone. And then the next place that makes it where you could possibly get cells from is the La Brea tar pits in L.A. And that's oh, sort of the yeah. same type of situation because as the tar kind of got onto them, it had a like a mummifying effect. Mm-hmm. And so the a lot of the bacteria that helps with decomposition, thus getting making the DNA hard to get to, is still in those animals for that reason. Um, yep. So there are some animals from there that they might be able to clone, but the the animals that are exposed in the permafrost are better because it's like actual tissue that's still mushy if you push into it. It's like cryo-freezing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like Walt Disney's head where yep. they froze it. I don't know if they did that for real, but... <laughs> Anything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just going to say, Ralph, right now, I could not be more excited about the possibility of having cloned woolly mammoths and woolly rhinoceroses brought back to life. Even saber-toothed cats, although I don't know if I want them getting out of whatever enclosure they would be in. But I am 150% for the cloning of woolly mammoths and woolly rhinoceroses. First of all, woolly rhinoceroses' horns are like four foot tall. Wow. How badass would that be? Second of all, woolly mammoths are also cool as shit. Yeah. And it would be amazing to see them sons of guns walking around. Actually, they're hot as shit. Well, yeah, because they're, they're wool. Colombian mammoths, also cool. Yes. They're not quite as furry as the woolly. Yeah. And mastodons, that would be cool as well. But I'm particularly fond of the woolly variety of mammoths and the woolly rhinoceros. And they need you're a woolly kind of guy. That's right. I am. I'm a big, woolly, fat fella. 
<laughs> Aren't we all? Yes. Well, you're becoming, getting quite thin, though, Ralph. You're going to be a svelte young man before too long. That's a different story for a different podcast. <laughs> exactly. But this is the question I have for you now, Ralph. Okay. Did you know that cloning woolly mammoths and woolly rhinoceroses would help prevent global warming? That I did not know. Yeah. That makes bringing them back even more badass. And I'm going to tell you how they're going to do that, because I'm sure you were wondering how that would be possible and if I was just blowing smoke up your ass. Roger that. <laughs> so, now there is some explanation that needs to be done. Here's the how and sort of why. As the permafrost in Siberia is melting due to global warming, it releases CO2 into the atmosphere. And then the summers get warmer because there's more CO2, so more permafrost melts, thus releasing more CO2. So it creates an infinite feedback loop. But the other thing about that is it also means that the winters don't get quite as cold. So the permafrost, say 10,000 years ago, the permafrost in the summer, only like, say, the first sort of foot of the ground thaws. Right. But the remaining, you know, next 10 feet or whatever stays frozen. Well, now, because of global warming in the summertime, four foot deep into the ground thaws. And then in the winter, it doesn't refreeze all the way down, thus making it easier to melt than the following summer, once again, creating that negative feedback loop. And this is also going to seem weird, but snow also contributes to the melting of the permafrost because snow is an insulator. So if you have three feet of snow, it actually prevents the ground from getting as cold and freezing. So it might only drop to 15 degrees instead of minus 30 degrees. Well, that's a big difference in terms of how the ground freezes and everything. And it keeps that carbon, you know, locked into the ground, that CO2. Mm -hmm. And the Siberian plain tundra is really just a northern version of the African savanna. So 10,000 years ago, instead of elephants, you had woolly mammoths, or 20,000 years ago, I guess. Instead of elephants, you had woolly mammoths. Instead of regular rhinoceroses, you had woolly rhinoceroses. Instead of gazelle, you have deer. Instead of muskox, you had a type of cattle. I can't remember what it is. But then the European, it's extinct now, but that's where we got domesticated cattle from. And then the European bison and moose and elk. Mm -hmm. And it was this, the Siberian tiger, which still exists. And then there was the cave lion. And then grizzly bears were like the predator, not grizzly, uh, European brown bear, were like the predators that hunt them. So it was really just a colder version of the African savanna. And one of the things that keeps the African savanna, the savanna, and not turn into a treed or forested area are elephants. Elephants like to eat trees. And elephants, being elephants, if there's a tree they want, they just knock that thing down. They'll literally just push it with their trunk until they knock it over. They're the only animals, aside from us, that can do that, <laughs> right? And we need Correct. a chainsaw to do it or shovels, and they just push them over. And so the trees prevent sort of like a forested area from expanding because the, or I mean the elephants, because they kill those trees. So instead of there being like a big forest, they make sure that the trees are always thinned out. And it it's able to remain the savanna because of that. 
Well, they believe that woolly mammoths serve that same function mm-hmm. in the Siberian tundra, keeping the trees, because a lot of Siberia now has become forested area when, in fact, 20,000 years ago, it was just a grassland. And grass is another great thing for global warming up north in the northern hemisphere because pine trees aren't as good of carbon sinks as other type of green leafy trees. The trees that have needles don't aren't the carbon sink that leafy trees are. And so the, the grass then becomes the carbon sink in the tundra. Hmm. And so the mammoths then, once they sort of died out and went extinct, the trees started encroaching in on the savanna and the grasslands, thus shrinking the grasslands, thus making it harder to be a carbon sink. And woolly mammoths, serving that function that the elephant did, made sure that the trees didn't expand into the tundra. And here's the other cool thing. You know how I was talking about how snow is an insulator? Yep. So all of those animals that I mentioned before, the bison, the woolly mammoths, the rhinos, mm-hmm. the muskox, the elk, the moose. There was even a horse that they had. It was like a cold weather horse. It's extinct now, but there's a modern horse that they were able to just, it's like the same type of horse. So they just sort of plugged it in there. Yep. Because they eat grass, they're always trampling around grazing, which knocks the snow down and compacts it. So instead of having three foot of snow, there's one inch of compacted snow because those animals want to get to the grass and eat the grass. And then as the grass gets eaten, it grows more. And then since the trees aren't becoming a more forested area because of, you know, the woolly mammoths, the the tundra maintains sort of its balance that it needs. And there are places that they've done studies where there's like a mountain range and there'll, there'll be like a large valley sort of in between. But Mm -hmm. it's higher up, and its permafrost doesn't sort of melt because there are elk and stuff. And it's like a small enough microcosm that the elk are able to keep by themselves, sort of what all of the other animals did. Wow. Yeah. So here's where it gets cool. This is happening right now. There is, I don't know what the exact acreage is, but in Siberia right now, there's a park that they call a place to see park. Okay. And that's the time frame that woolly mammoths and all of those animals lived in. That's why it's called that. And they have reintroduced um, the the type of horse that lived back then, reintroduced elk. There was already deer. Um, they've taken musk ox and sort of let them go. So they've rewilded. And then they've imported European bison from, I believe, Scandinavia. And they have those in there. So they now have a good mix of all of these animals. And what is happening is in that area, the permafrost isn't melting the way it was because the ground gets colder. All of those things that they in theory thought would happen are in fact happening. They can, they can go and watch and see that it's happening. Wow. Yeah. But what they need are mammoths for the trees. Yep. Now they have some sort of weird ex-military vehicle that on the front of it, they kind of have a, blade and they just sort of drive around and cut down new you know saplings to sort of mimic (laughs) a woolly mammoth but woolly mammoths would obviously do the job better and so there are yeah there are projects in japan and south korea to clone woolly mammoths okay yeah so so what do you think about pleistocene park ralph sounds pretty exciting now i did have some thoughts in relation to how you were saying that 
they were using woolly mammoths to prevent um, global warming. Yeah. You were talking about how, like, currently elephants and elephants knock down trees and Mm -hmm. um, they clear out fields of them. It, It led me to believe, wait a minute, trees taking carbon dioxide and convert it into oxygen. Right. Wouldn't that wouldn't that have the opposite effect? But in the permafrost, I kind of see where you're going because if they're knocking the snow away from the permafrost itself, the ground gets colder. Yeah. Which means that more ice freezes on the ground. Right. But the grass serves that purpose too. Okay. In the in the tundra. Yeah, it's it's amazing how dynamic all of the systems are and what losing one animal can can do to a region. Just reintroducing yeah. wolves into Yellowstone changed the uh, the ecology the ecosystem. Yeah, the ecosystem for for the better in Yellowstone. Yeah, because all of a sudden some of these animals had predators that didn't have predators before. Um, mm-hmm. I just hope that I live long enough to see cloned woolly mammoths. I want to live yeah. long enough to see cloned woolly mammoths and people walking around on Mars. That would be nice. The Mars thing, I kind of have a feeling that we won't see it in our lifetime. However, the clone woolly mammoths, I mean, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. So, other other than being badass to have woolly mammoths back, it's actually good for the environment and would help, mm-hmm. in a small way, prevent some global warming there and climate go. change. So, you scientists that are working on this need to get going. And that's one of the big things, though, is they unearth these woolly mammoths is are we going to get good enough cells to try to do that and then of course the if you were to get a clone that started producing a baby obviously you would need sort of tissue from multiple different mammoths so you don't have an incest thing going on and then you would need uh, asian elephants to be surrogate moms yep but still that would be amazing that would be fantastic. Yeah. And there are there are also, Ralph, some other animals that they're the term they use is de extinction. Wow. Uh, animals that they, they want to do that to. One of them is the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger, obviously from uh, Australia and Tasmania. Um mm-hmm. the last one of those died in a zoo in the nineteen thirties. And the Tasmanian tiger is in fact not a tiger, obviously. It's a marsupial, but it looked kind of like a weird cross between a dog and a cat. Huh. And in the 1800s in Australia, they were trying to do, you know, sheep and cow, and the thylacines were killing them, so the government put a bounty on their head, and within like 15 years, they decimated them to where they were almost completely extinct. Wow. Yeah. Um. Now, there are still sightings, in some parts of Australia and some parts of Tasmania where people claim that they've seen a thylacine, but there's never been one captured or any decent footage of it. So they don't really consider them as being not extinct, but those are animals that they're thinking about attempting to clone. And I don't remember what they said the surrogate would be, but honestly it doesn't matter since they are born like after a couple of weeks and go into the pouch. Uh-huh. I mean, could you not just have a bag and <laughs> a bottle? As crazy as that sounds. Because yeah, it is it, a, a marsupial. Exactly. Yeah. And then they also is the uh, Iberian ibex 
Iberia, of course, is the peninsula of Spain. And the Ibex lived in the uh, mountains between Spain and France. And there are other types of Ibex that live there, but the Iberian Ibex went extinct in the 90s. Oh, wow. But they were able to get cell samples from them, and they did, in fact, clone them. And then they implanted several regular, I guess, Ibex or goats. I don't remember which one it was with, you know, the, the I guess, the fetus. And most of them died in wo- in the womb. One of them was born. It came full term. But it died like three hours later. Wow. So they, yeah, they're not sure what's going on. But apparently they do have a large stock of Ibex uh, cell samples saved. And I'm assuming as technology gets better, they'll probably try again to clone those. Mm-hmm. And then another one that they've talked about cloning is the dodo bird which is from the island of Mauritius. And apparently dodos, I guess, were kind of cool. They were quite large. And one of the reasons they went extinct is as uh, sailors went to that island, dodos, because it's so isolated, they had never seen a human. So they didn't know to be scared of people. Mm -hmm. So people would literally just walk up to dodo birds with bats and hit them on the head and kill them and then eat them. Oh, no. And that's that's why they went extinct, because they had no natural, you know, trepidation of humans. And, of uh-huh. course, being humans, we ate, ate them to extinction. Ah. Uh. But I guess there are, I guess because people, I guess, taxidermied them or whatever. I, I don't know what the right term is. But I think there are scientists that believe that there might be enough that they could possibly clone the dodo bird. Or at least, at the very least, do its uh, DNA and maybe be able to sort of kind of halfway create one from another bird. And the next animal is one that I am also excited and desperately want to see them clone. And that's the giant ground sloth. Who oh, does, wow. yeah, who does, who does not want to see a sloth the size of a Volkswagen Beetle? Holy jeez. Yeah, but it's a sloth, Ralph. A giant wow. sloth. Sloths are like just cool animals. They're laid back, they're chill. And a sloth yeah. the size of a car would be amazing. Could you ride them into battle? No, you could not. <laughs> but would they make great pets? Yes, yes, they would. Oh, goodness. But anyway, those are animals, you know, that they're trying to bring back. And I know the technology isn't quite there yet, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping that it is. And I don't know if you're as excited about bringing back woolly mammoths and rhinos as I am, or ground sloths. Nice. I don't know if you get that excited or not, but, I mean, wouldn't you like to see a woolly mammoth, Ralph? I'd love to. I may not get as excited, but I'd love to, because that'll be a bucket list that I could that no one could ever take away. Yeah. Something you couldn't do ten years ago. Thank you. Or yeah. under, for that matter. Right? Although the last mammoth did die in 4000 BC, there was an island off of Siberia that they were the last ones to go extinct. So I don't know if they could maybe go and get, see if there are any permafrost on that island. Oh, wow. Because that would be like pretty young. I mean, think about this. The Great Pyramids were built when these bully mammoths died. Oh, that is pretty young then. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You don't think of woolly mammoths in the terms of like recorded history as being alive, but there were in fact some woolly mammoths that were. Jeez. Yeah. Cool, huh? 
Shnikes. Yeah. You're going to have a hard time sleeping tonight, Ralph. You're just going to be thinking about clones and clones and makeup and cloned animals. And... I'm going to think, be thinking about woolly mems. That's for sure. Yeah. Clone Scarlett Johansson. That was from the island. Co- I know. I, well, <laughs> I, was, I was telling the people listening, Ralph. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Sorry. My, my 12 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but as far as cloning humans, which sort of is going to take us back to where I started with, they aren't actually attempting to clone full bodies of humans. The way they are doing the research with human cloning is to clone organs. Because when someone goes into organ failure and they get an organ transplant, you spend the rest of your life taking anti-rejection meds because your body doesn't want that organ. That's why it's always, it's a match, it's a match. That means it's the closest genetically or whatever that they can get to your body. So your body fights to reject it less. But you will still be on anti-rejection medication, you know, for the rest of your life. And a lot of times, even then, it doesn't work in the organ fells and Sometimes someone has to get a second organ transplant. And if they could clone your liver, just, oh, your, diet, your liver's failing. We'll just go in, get some cells from your liver, clone your liver. Now, chances are, if there's like a natural reason why your liver's failing, when they clone it, your liver will still have that issue. But if that doesn't kick in until you're 45 and they clone your liver at 45, that means you probably got a good 40 years before you start having issues with your new liver. Wow. And they would then probably just be able to clone it again. But yeah, but your body then wouldn't wouldn't reject that organ because it's your organ. Take the old yep. liver out, put your new liver in, grown from the one they just took out, put it back in and your body, oh, hey, it's the same it's the same liver. You know, that would work, be great with kidneys or heart or lungs. And then sort of what we mentioned earlier it might even be something that you could do to heal spinal cords. So that's that's the direction they're going in terms of human cloning. I don't even think it's a consideration like, you know, you have some sort of accident, a car wreck or something, and they have to amputate your hand. I don't even think trying to grow and clone your hand is something that's even considered. Yeah. You know, we, we're not, we don't want a bunch of Deadpools running around. Nope. But anyway, that's... That's sort of what they want to do with uh, with humans. It's just regrow organs and maybe even eyes or corneas and stuff like that. And that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's sort of all that I had. I hope that it's been a not too dense of learning. I, I hope you learned some stuff, Ralph. I did. I did. And thank you. Yeah. No, you're welcome. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. I just find I do better when I have someone that I can sort of talk to versus being by myself. Yeah, there's a lot of cool and exciting things in the future of cloning. Mm -hmm. But that's sort of the key part, the future of cloning. The technology doesn't exist to clone full people right now. There's no means of, you know, memory transfer or anything like that. We can't even clone a kidney at this point. But who knows, maybe in 10 or 15 years we'll be able to because I would like to think that that's something that will exist in my lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. And make woolly mammoths. And there make you them go. Now. Don't care how. I want woolly mammoths now. To paraphrase Veruca Salt. Anyway, that's, that's it for cloning, folks. 
Well, I mean, I guess that's not fully it, but that's it for me. So, I I appreciate everyone listening. Ralph, I appreciate you being on here and being the sounding board. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you all for listening as well. And, Ralph, I'll have to have you on again at some point in the future. I'll be more than happy to join you, sir. I I appreciate that. So, I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast, and I'm going to go ahead and sign off the way I always do, and that is, remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud.